Welcome to Nutrition for Life, the podcast that goes beyond your plate, brought to you by Herbalife Nutrition. My name's Carol Walker, and in each episode, I'll be speaking to a panel of guests from across Europe to explore some of the biggest topics in the world of nutrition and food, from food waste, safety and sustainability, to the rise of plant-based protein alternatives, dieting and food labeling. We've got it all for you in the next eight episodes. So let's tuck into episode one and where better to start than with the big question, what is nutrition and how has our understanding of it changed over the years? To answer these questions and plenty more, I'm joined by Christiana Caraiolis, a registered nutritionist with special interest in women's health and family nutrition. You can find Christiana on Instagram at Eat Happy Feel Good. Hello, Christiana. Hello, Carol. Thank you for having me. Now, Kumud Gandhi is a food scientist, broadcaster and founder of the Cooking Academy, an international cookery school that teaches people and organizations how to prepare and cook food for wellness and nutritional health. Hello, Kumud. Hello, great to be with you all. And Eva Warrenso-Lemming, who's a senior lecturer and associate professor in the Department of Food Studies, Nutrition and Dietetics at Uppsala University in Sweden. Before turning to lecturing, Eva spent 10 years working for the Swedish Food Agency. Hello, Eva. Hello, good to be here. Great to have you all with us. Thank you. And before we all discuss this, we sent our producer Steve Bland out to find out what nutrition means to you. Um, to me, it means um, having the right balance of foods um, over, a, over a week, I would say. You know, not just over a day, but over a week. Um, as I say, we don't eat as much meat, so we'll have meat maybe once or twice a week. But the rest of the week, I'll be careful that we have a balance of dairy, we have some oily fish, we eat a wide range of veg as, as much as we can, and, and fruit. Actually, we don't eat as much fruit as we used to. That's one cutback we've made. Health, good for you. Mm, what we should be having rather than rubbish. Healthy, balanced lifestyle, eating the right things, taking into account like what's in food and what to look out for and what not to consume a lot of essentially. So just making sure that you're consuming the right food, I suppose. Uh, yeah, same, I suppose. Just everything kind of in, in balance and eating what makes you feel good as well, I'd say. Like it's more important like when I think of it. Just like getting a balance of everything, like fruit, veg, protein, uh, carbs. Christiana, let me start with you and that big question. What do we mean when we say nutrition? Well, Carol, that's a huge question. The scientific definition of nutrition is the process of obtaining nourishment from our food for health and growth. Um, but in reality, the word nutrition means so much more than that. It's such a complicated concept now um, and has different meanings. And the reality is that 
depending on which school of thought someone follows, they will define nutrition very differently, which I think is something that we've seen uh, far more in recent years. For me, nutrition simply means eating in a balanced, enjoyable way that supports both physical and emotional health for your individual needs. Yeah, and Kumud, um, what are your thoughts on that? Because you have a particular approach to health and nutrition. And as Christiana was saying there, people have different ideas, different um, individual needs. Uh, yes, and the human body is different to, uh, you know, each human body is very, very different and the body chemistry changes throughout your lifetime. Um, indeed, for a woman, it changes dramatically in several phases of her life. And nutrition means different things to different people. So for some people, that is about um, a diet that will enable them to remain fit. Uh, for some people, it means uh, preventing them from being poorly, from being unwell. Uh, for others, it means an investment in their future, for their lifetime, uh, so that they can enjoy well-being well into their future. Um, and for me, I absolutely look at food from its organic matter from its chemical um, point of view and have a look at what the chemical compositions of different foods are and how they can work with your own body chemistry in order for you to maximize and optimize really what you can get out of it for your own body and that will be different for everyone because uh, you know one man's uh, friend is another man's foe so you know if you're intolerant to something then I can say all day long that this is very good for you but actually for somebody else it, it might not be so uh, it's so so different. And Eva what are your thoughts on that because you've looked in particular at, at Nordic cooking and so on? Uh, yes nutrition is, uh, is, uh, is, is huge and and uh, I, I I don't I can't add so much more uh, than these two uh, ladies have talked about. It's about chemistry. It's about biochemistry. It's about physiology. It's about uh, the nutrient composition of different foods. It's about the clinical nutrition part. It, it's about nutritional epidemiology, uh, etc. So it's 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 big. It's it's very it's it's so huge. And Eva, do you think that enough of us really understand all of that? Or are we all perhaps a little bit too much influenced by the latest article that we've read telling us we've all got to eat a certain superfood? I guess that is true. And I think that in this time when there is so much information and there is, you know, a new thing about diet coming out in media every day, uh, you know, I think that a lot of people, they think they know a lot about nutrition, but nutrition is very complex. Uh, so, um, yeah, I, uh, it's, um, it's tricky. Uh, some people know a lot about nutrition. Some people say they know a lot about nutrition. And some people don't care about nutrition, uh, I would say. And Kumud, I know you very much um, focus on trying to teach people and indeed bigger organizations. So, I mean... Where do you start when you're trying to get them to prepare and cook and eat good food? Um, I always start with um, a little bit of history um, in terms of how um, we have come to the position where we are at at the moment, how we have come to make our food choices and the role that history has played in our human evolution and 
you know, the choices of origin. Um, so the kind of foods that we chose when we were hunter-gatherer men and um, how things have evolved. Certainly the geopolitics of food and two world wars and how um, that has changed our um, kind of uh, view on food. So we very much look at food today. Um, and of course, the commercial aspects of food come into this. We very much look at food from a focus of flavor. So people make choices about the foods they eat based on what they enjoy eating, not about the functionality of food. And a little bit like putting a cart before the horse. So in other words, I'll eat olives because I like them, not because they are full of X, Y, and Z nutritional values. Uh, I won't eat tomatoes because I don't like the flavor, irrespective of how nutritionally dense tomatoes might be. And so we make choices all day long about foods based purely on a very, very small dynamic, which is flavor. And we've completely lost the understanding of food. And if we only eat what we enjoy or what we like the flavor of, we'll probably reduce our diet down to, you know, about 12 different ingredients. That's just the way we are. Um, but when we begin to understand what impact uh, all of these different foods have on our um, human anatomy and our physiology and how much it impacts our gut health and, and how, many, how much variety one needs, then we begin to understand. Oh, and if we absolutely look at food in terms of its functionality, we then begin to understand what people should really be eating in order to give them the level of um, nutritional uh, impact they need from food and, and, and you know, uh, the frequency with which they should be uh, putting this into their diets. So um, I st always start with a historical account of how we have arrived at where we are today and put food into that perspective of um, uh, you know, uh, the introduction of electricity and what impact that had, um, you know, the introduction of modern pharmaceutical companies, um, you know, and what impacts that's had uh, and what we did before that time. And, and Christiana, that's interesting, isn't it? Because our ideas about what's good for us and what we should be eating um, have changed enormously, e even in the most recent few decades. I mean, if I think about the diets that my parents ate when they were children are very different from what I had. And indeed, um, I now have grown up kids. And, and I, I think that um, I think they probably ate a lot better than I did, to be honest. Massively, massively. I think, you know, the previous generation ate what was available, ate based on agriculture, ate based on um, what was around. Now we eat um, as Kumut rightly said, based on what we like. Um, but I also find in my practice, I see that convenience is a huge factor. Affordability is another huge factor. But we tend to ignore the most important side of food, and that is what it does for our health. Um, so I found it very interesting that we have moved away in the last few decades from what was around, what was convenient, what was good for us, to what we like, what's convenient and what we can afford. But I think as health professionals, we need to be aware of those three things, which is uh, taste, convenience and um, affordability. And we need to find a way to combine those three things with health. We need to find a way to make the public understand and make it easy for everyone to eat in a nutritious way that is also convenient, 
that is also tasty and is also affordable. And I think that is one of our biggest challenges as health professionals now. Um, but you're absolutely right. Things have changed massively in the last few decades. Part of the problem is that nutrition is big business, and that has driven both some amazing research, but also some food fads and that has confused people. So when there is so much misinformation and people are confused, it just seems to become easier and make more sense to just eat what you like um, because it's all just too confusing now. Um, and unfortunately, the message that um, vegetables are good for you isn't that appealing, isn't that interesting, not when you've got a company that puts loads of um, money in marketing and selling the latest fad diet, unfortunately. That marketing can be quite persuasive, can't it? And you can look at products and mm. think, well, you know, that obviously looks like it's something that's that's really healthy, in particular, let's say, if it's plant-based, but, but it might not be so necessary. I mean, what should we be looking for if we want to try and put together a nutritious diet? Variety, I think is one of the key things, variety, and um, having a broad variety. So again, just not looking at um, kind of saying, well, it's good because I eat broccoli, uh, because broccoli gives you one profile, um, you know, but actually you need to increase that so that it's broccoli and it's spinach and it's beans and it's greens and it's yellows and it's reds and all of the different types of vegetables that are in that. And um, just uh, just touching on your point about the, the fads and the problem is there's no money in um, the, the, all about vested interest and there's no money in farming. OK, so farmers are not able to get on to, you know, some platform to say eat greens because, you know, that's that's not how uh, food is sold necessarily. And so it's only when one has a vested interest that you can then really push the marketing campaign. So unless it is a societal message, a government message, a government led message, uh, then, um, you know, unless there is a vested interest, of which the government has an enormous vested interest, particularly in countries where health, obesity, and so on is massive, and huge sums of money are poured into the NHS, um, because of uh, ill health, then, um, you know, unless there is um, investment put into research that, uh, you know, um, is of benefit to the masses, you know, you're not going to uh, be able to get that message across because uh, you know, farmers don't have as much money as Nestle or something like that, you know. Yeah, let me just bring in Eva on that point about uh, all the marketing and it's it's very difficult isn't it to to work out uh what necessarily especially a lot of those products which are all geared up to convincing us all that they're healthy yeah that's true but there are help uh, for uh, consumers uh, to look for in, in the store uh, there are food labels and you know the the, the nutrition declaration and also you have the traffic light symbol in the UK that are good things uh, for consumers to look out for in order to, to make uh, healthy food choices. Uh, but, but I wanted to say that I, there are so much, uh, you know, we have a very sound scientific base for, for guidelines and recommendations. So, and we know what a, what a healthy diet should look like. Uh, and that's why we have, you know, nutritional guidelines 
on a, on a national level. And, and the authorities work uh, for, for this uh, to inform the public. But, but I guess it's very difficult with only information. And also these labels in the, on, on the foods uh, is also difficult for, for the consumer to understand because there are so much information on the packages. Yeah, and Eva, you sit on the Committee of Nordic Nutrition Recommendations. I mean, yeah. what is the basis of those? If I wanted to follow the, those, the Nordic uh, recommendations, and Nordic food is, well, it's terrifically trendy at the moment. So perhaps I might be better following the Nordic ones than the UK government's ones. I guess, you know, the scientific base for the Nordic nutrition recommendations and, you know, the Eat Well Guide or the, how the, the U.S. recommendations, they are based on the same scientific base. So I guess they wouldn't be that much different from, from what you have in the U.K., uh, but, uh, of course, uh, you know, the scientific base is, is common for all the Nordic countries. But then each country... So what, do they, have, what do they say? What is the broad approach? I guess that's, you know, I sit in the working committee for the sixth edition. So we have now we have the fifth edition. And, you know, the, the foundation is, is a healthy diet based on an abundance in, in plant foods, uh, fish, uh, nuts, uh, you know, uh, vegetable oils, uh, uh, less uh, less meat, uh, less uh, less salt, and and less products with sugar and and fats in them. So I think it's pretty much, you know, the contemporary Western countries' uh, recommendations uh, as we know them. Uh, but um, so it, they are not different. Uh, but then when you are doing the food-based dietary guidelines on a national de- level then you have to take um, into consideration the the food culture of the country. And then back to your questions on Nordic food. Uh, I didn't know that Nordic food was trendy in the UK, but maybe it is. Uh, But but I guess uh, Nordic food should be, you know, things that could be grown in the Nordic region, like oats, rapeseed oil, berries, uh, cruciferous uh, vegetables, probably wild game uh, and, and those kind of things. Uh, but uh, tradition, you know, we ate, you know, sturdy, uh, rustique food in the Nordic countries also. Christiana, what about the role of government and government guidelines? Um, I mean, if we want to eat nutritious food, is it a good idea to look at this? And I mean, do people actually take any notice of them? I'm, I think I'm sure there's some amount that the UK government guidelines say that the amount of salt I should or shouldn't be having or whatever. Um, I'm fascinated by the subject, but I'm not sure I even know what they are and let alone actually follow them. You're right. There are guidelines. There are guidelines that we follow. There are recommendations that we make. You know, we recommend a certain amount of protein, a certain amount of fiber, a certain amount of salt and sugar intake as both minimums and maximums. The problem is that the public are far more likely to listen to uh, an influencer or a celebrity rather than take the time to understand what public um, what, what recommendations their government make. Um The government is partly to blame, in my opinion, because those recommendations aren't very clear. 
we have the traffic light system, then we have, you know, portions and calories per portion, then we have salt per portion. It's really, it's not as simple as people think. I often spend time in my clinic, in my corporate talks, just educating people on how to decipher food labels so they can start to make informed decisions. And I think that has to be step one, start to understand what is in your food, um, how that reflects with the recommendation and what that means for you. But the second part to that is to understand that it is a recommendation only. These guidelines are only designed to be guidelines. We then each have an individual duty to our own health to invest the time to understand what works for us. We are biologically unique. So what works for person A, it might work beautifully, but it will not work for person B and person C. Um, and I think people don't do that. If the keto diet is in trend, the assumption will be that, well, if it worked so well for my cousin, it's got to work beautifully for me. And that's just not how nutrition works. And I think people don't take the time. We are very time poor. So they just don't take the time to figure out what works for them. Um, you know, so many people think that they are gluten intolerant, or they want to eat more plants, but they opt for plant-based options that quite frankly are not particularly nutritious in my opinion. So it's just taking the time to understand what your individual body needs at that time, which as we both know, changes with age, changes with our hormonal needs. So it, in my opinion, the most important thing is to invest time in understanding your individual needs that may be loosely based on the government recommendations, which I really would love to be simpler for people. Yeah. And uh, Kumud, I know that you um, teach a lot about the role of spices and so on in food and in nutrition uh, and well-being. Um, I don't think they even get a mention uh, in certainly in the UK guidelines, as far as I'm aware. No. And um, they are little nuggets of uh, amazing uh, wellness. And, um, and if we don't incorporate those into our, uh, our food, our diet, then um, I, I liken this to an investment. And uh, uh, perhaps it's because I Come, my original career was in um, banking and um, investment banking. And um, I say that eating, incorporating little bits of spices into your everyday diet is like investing in your pension fund because you might not reap the benefits today, but over a period of time, this is going to really have a fantastic accumulative effect. And some people say that they struggle to get 30 different ingredients into their meal repertoire in a, uh, in, a, in, in a week. I would say that with two meals, if you're using a nice range of herbs and spices, then you could, you could do that in a day, let alone a week. Because all you need to do is use tiny, tiny amounts of different herbs and spices. And they don't have to be spices in the Asian or Indian realm because even things like rosemary, thyme, sage, uh, mint, lovage, all of those regular English, European herbs and spices um, are just as effective. 
And so it's actually just cooking with these ingredients that are giving us antibacterial properties, antiviral properties, uh, antioxidant properties, um, lots and lots of, you know, vitamin A, B, C, all of those things. Um, you can pepper into your food very, very easily and quickly without realizing you've racked up quite a number. Um, and, you know, in one Indian, Mediterranean, Middle Eastern, whatever meal, you can you could have 10 different spices and, you know, you've already, you know, clocked them all up. So um, spices are just little hidden gems. And uh, I think people should learn to cook with them uh, and understand their chemical values and the function behind them, because it's all about yin yang and balancing foods and, uh, you know, acids and alkalines and, and really ensuring that your food is properly balanced. Um, but, it, you know, you can achieve a lot just by spicing your food. And, and spices like that are, are clearly um, are an important part, um, obviously, of, of Indian cooking, but Middle Eastern cooking, as, as you mentioned. Mm. Um, and mm -hmm. Ava, it, it does point to this fact that different countries and different cultures have very different approaches to food, don't they? And how much difference mm. do you think um, that makes when it comes to ensuring that we get the nutrition that we need? I guess it means that we will do it in different ways. Uh, that we will, when we cook our foods, we, we chose foods that are available uh, where we are, uh, and uh, yeah, I guess that would be the thing. And also, I guess within one country, if you look upon what people eat, uh, there are you know big differences between countries, but there are as big differences within the country. So we, you know, just because you live in one country, not everyone, you know, eats this, have the same type of food culture. And, and I think that, uh, like Christiana say, I, I say that there is, you know, a healthy diet can be made up by many different things. And, you know, it's up to you to decide. Mm -hmm. But with common core ingredients, I would say. I could just add to what uh, Kuman said. I completely agree that the role of herbs and spices in nutrition not just in terms of nutritional value, but also in making healthy, nutritious, simple food completely delicious. Something I hear all the time is that healthy food is boring, whereas I beg to differ. You take a very simple, um, you know, bunch of vegetables and a piece of salmon. You add some spices, which takes a matter of seconds, and you've transformed into something entirely tasty. And I think that's something I want people to understand. You're not only adding nutrients, you are making it enjoyable. And if we want to make um, nutrition a part of everyday life, it must be enjoyable. If it's, we are, we are biologically designed to not do something if it's not enjoyable. And it's not going to make a difference if we don't do it consistently. For it to become a consistent habit, it's got to taste great. And herbs and spices make things taste great. So we really need to kind of get that message out. So I, I couldn't agree with that anymore. I wanted to pick you up, Christiana, on a comment you made earlier about uh, we're all very short of time. Um, people lead very busy lives. They they may be working. They have family responsibilities and so on. Um, how great a factor do you think it is that people don't necessarily have or take the time to sit down properly and enjoy a meal, that people tend to 
eat um, and sometimes literally on the move, but then or just picking up something that is already made for them. And is there a danger there that you you're just not really focusing on whether or not what you're picking up um, is the best thing for you? And, and that and that perhaps if it is a something that is ready made, that it is typically going to be maybe high in um, salt or sugar or additives and so on. Absolutely. I mean, apart from the fact that if you pick up something ready-made, it's very likely going to be less nutritious, much higher in the ingredients that we want to see less of in our clients' diets. It's very likely going to be more expensive. You're going to be eating it on the go. You're going to be eating it mindlessly. Um, but there are also health implications to that. You know, someone with a gut problem will tell you eating quickly will exacerbate that gut problem. One of the, the most basic pieces of advice I give to my, my clients with gut issues is sit down, chew your food, eat it mindfully, enjoy it. Digestion begins in the mouth. You're not going to be eating that way if you've picked up something quickly. Um, with weight loss, which is something I work, uh, you know, I have lots of clients. If you are not eating mindfully, you are not giving your brain a, a chance to register. So it's problematic from a nutrient perspective, from a cost perspective, from a health perspective, but also from the enjoyment perspective. How can you possibly fully enjoy something that you've picked up in your, you know, your eating between errands? It's just not something that I ever recommend. And Something that's something I look at with a lot of my clients is how to carve out time for food, both in terms of preparation, but also just to eat. It's it's incredibly important. And there are many um, danger points when we do when we do otherwise. Uh, Eva, what are your thoughts on that? Is is this part of the problem that um, not that even we're not sufficiently focused on the nutrition, but we're just not that sufficiently focused on ensuring that we are eating the right things and, and what we're even eating. I, I think that there are ways of eating healthy, although you don't have a lot of time. And uh, But there are crap food to buy on the move, you know, a lot of fast food things and, and, and the ready prepared dishes uh, that might not be so good for you. But but for, you know, a family with kids, it might be very good to 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 buy, you know, something that is pre-made and then add vegetables, spices and other mm. stuff to, to the meal. Uh, so I, I don't see a problem in that. Uh, but of course, it's always best to, to, to cook, you know, from scratch, uh, you know, choosing whole ingredients. But that's not the case for everyone. We don't have the time. And if you have small children and, you know, you might be off to something else and so forth, then, you know, ready to ready, already made meals might, you know, uh, be good in that sense, I would say. But yes, we, we have to be, you know, mindful about what we what we uh, what, what we choose. There's uh, another point to add to the that just that bit about um, what Christiana said about um, you know mindful eating. I think we live in times where we are diet rich and nutrition poor, so we have access to so much food, and so we would think that we should be the most nutritious people ever, and yet we're nutritionally poor. And the reason for that is a combination of factors. But one of the key factors is that we consume too much 
we don't chew it properly, which means we don't digest it properly. And so it's in and it's out, but we don't make good of the food that we eat. And so we're not harnessing the nutrition from it. And as Christiana says, the digestion starts in the mouth and the purpose of the gums and the teeth and the positioning is so that the chewing, the mastication process releases salivic acid, which is a very powerful force for starting the digestion process. And if you have chewed your food properly, by the time it actually enters the stomach, the digestion process is already so much more advanced than if you've wrapped your food around, moved it around a couple of times and swallowed, which is what a lot of people do. And also when you're talking and eating and you're eating on the go, you're actually also taking in a little bit too much of the oxygen, uh, which will also impair that process. And another thing that we seem to do too much of is to drink water at the same time as eating food or even before you eat, um, which means it dilutes the hydrochloric acid, which means then that digestive process slows down significantly. Uh, and eat, drinking a little bit of food whilst you're eating is a good thing, but actually drowning what you're eating in lots of liquid means that your digestive process is going to be impaired significantly, which means the nutrition, the nutritional process just doesn't happen as effectively. Gosh, I'm never going to be able to, um, uh, I'm not going to be able to eat tonight without thinking about how I'm chewing and how I'm swallowing. Um, but, but in a way, Christiana, what you're saying is that um, we don't necessarily need to, to, to think about that, um, you know, the number of times we're chewing our food, but, but we do need to take the time to think about um, the, the ingredients, but also just the process of what we're taking in to make sure we digest it properly. Absolutely that. It's exactly that. It's, you know, food is what is keeping us well. Food is what is investing in our future health. So it's a little bit strange to me that we give it such little attention, both in terms of preparation and eating. So spend a little bit of time looking at what's on your plate, understanding what each component that is on your plate does for you. Um, I teach my clients, ask yourself some simple questions. Is there enough color on my plate? Is there enough flavor? Do I have some fiber? Is there a good source of protein? These are simple questions that start to become habits over time. And really, that is the basis of nutrition, understanding what should be on your plate. And one of the things that I'm I help my clients with is to make it easy. I teach them sort of ways and how to, you know, do a bit of food preparation. What are the, the easiest convenience foods so that it sort of takes the thought process away from too much preparation and just enjoying the actual process of eating. Sit down, appreciate this meal. Even if it's just 20 minutes, it's enough time to make a mindful, meaningful connection with your meal, to chew it properly, to appreciate it, to enjoy it, to give your system a chance to prepare for what it's about to, to eat. And, and it's such an important process in terms of um, health and, and weight loss and, um, you know, gut health and just all of it. So it is a truly important process when it comes to nutrition and something that is um, often completely neglected. So, yeah. Christiana and Eva and Kumud, thank you all very much indeed for joining us today. And my thanks to you for listening to the first episode of Nutrition for Life, which has been brought to you 
by Herbalife Nutrition. You can find Kumud's classes at thecookingacademy.co.uk and Christiana is at Eat Happy Feel Good on Instagram. You can join in the conversation on social media. Check out Herbalife Nutrition at IamHerbalifeNutrition.com. And if you have any questions or thoughts you want to share on anything you've heard on this podcast, just use the hashtag Nutrition for Life. And do please join us again for another episode of Nutrition for Life, the podcast that goes beyond your plate. <laughs>